Hi, everybody. Carla here, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Tell me, where are you listening from? Have you read this story before and are just revisiting an old favorite, or are you hearing the story for the first time? In either case, thank you so much for listening. Now, if you're listening on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Anchor, or whatever your favorite platform is, please leave me a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And of course, you can always email me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And now, without further delay, I give you Ernest J. Gaines' A Gathering of Old Men. Segment 8. This one is called Louis Alfred Dimulin, a.k.a. Lou Dimes. Now, what I was trying to figure out was who in martial quarters could, not would, kill Bobu Tan. There were nothing but old people there. The young ones had all gone away, leaving only the old and a few children. So who could do it? Not Charlie. Too many times I had seen Bo speak to him as you would speak to a dog, and he would not raise his head, let alone his voice. Then who? Janie was too hysterical to make any sense over the telephone when I called the house. All she could say was hurry up and get there because Candy needed me. Candy needed me? I had been knowing Candy for three years, and during all that time, I had never known her to need anybody. I drove the 35 miles from Baton Rouge to Marshall in exactly 30 minutes. Why, I didn't have every highway patrolman in the state of Louisiana on my tail was just a miracle. When I came up even with Marshall House, I saw the majors in Miss Merle's cars in the yard. Candy's big LTD was not on the lawn in front of the door, so I figured she was still in the quarters where Janie said she was. The length of the quarters was little less than half a mile, beginning with the highway and going back into the fields. The bushes and weeds grew so tall on either side of the road that the road seemed no wider than a king-sized bedsheet. Somewhere down there, I could make out a tractor and a car. As I came deeper into the quarters, I noticed that there were no people around. The doors and windows of a few old houses were open, but no one sat out on the porches and no one stood in the yard or worked in the gardens. The place looked as if everyone had suddenly picked up and gone. Knowing the past reputation of Bo's family, I figured that was the smartest thing to do. I had barely stopped the car when I saw Candy coming in, coming out into the road. She seemed calm, not nearly as, as excited as I thought she'd be. Surely not nearly as worried as I was. I'm glad you got here, she said. What happened? I asked after getting out of the car. Over here, over there, she said, nodding back over her shoulder. I looked in that direction, but I couldn't see a thing for the weeds and bushes along the ditch bank. What happened, Candy? I asked her again. I killed him, she said, looking me straight in the eye. She turned to go back into the yard, but I grabbed her arm. What did you say? I killed Bo, she said, and pulled her arm free. I stood there a moment. I could feel my heart pounding pounding. No, not only could I feel it pounding, I could hear it trying to jump out of my chest. I shook my head. No, I hadn't heard what I thought I had heard, and I went after her. But I had only gone to the front of her car when I suddenly stopped again, like I had run into a brick wall. It was a wall, all right, 
but a wall 20, 30 feet away from me. Not a wall of brick, stone, or wood, but a wall of old black men with shotguns. I didn't know how many there were, 15, 18 of them, standing, squatting, sitting, scattered all over the place, and waiting. Waiting, but not for me. That was obvious. Some of them acted as though I was not even there. When I felt it was safe to go into the yard, I crossed the ditch over to where Candy was standing. At her feet lay Beau Boutin, his mouth and eyes still open, his face caked with sweat and dirt, his dark brown hair speckled with dry grass seeds. He was about 30, roughly handsome, maybe 175 pounds. He wore khaki pants and a khaki shirt and cowboy boots. His straw hat, bottom side up, lay in the weeds a few feet over to my left. A shotgun lay in the weeds a couple of steps to my right. I stooped over and picked up a thick, hairy, sweat and dirt cake wrist, held it a moment and dropped it back down. A half dozen flies flew from the coagulated blood on his chest but came back almost immediately. I stood up and looked around and looked around at the people again. Not one had said a single word or moved an inch. Some were looking at me, most were not. I stared at the one nearest me. He could have been in his 70s, but sometimes it's hard to estimate their ages. He looked about the average age of all the others with guns. He wore overalls and a denim shirt, an ageless gray felt hat, brogans laced with cowhide, but no socks. I'm the one, he said, not with anger, not threatening. If proud, not boasting, simply without my asking. I'm the one. I looked at another one. He was squatting over by the garden fence, smoking a cigarette. With the stock of the gun on the ground and the barrel across his knee, he was looking out at the tractor in the road. He showed so much more interest in that damn tractor than he did me that I almost turned around to look at the damn thing again myself. You there, he nodded. He must, have had a, he must have had great lateral vision because he knew I was talking to him without ever looking in my direction. I killed him, he said. I picked out another one sitting on the bottom step with his head, bow, with his head bowed. He was tapping the stock of the gun against a brick in the ground. I wondered if that damn gun was loaded. You on the step. He didn't stop tapping the brick for a second, didn't even raise his head. Yes, sir, I did it. I see, I thought, I see, all heroes, huh? I looked at the preacher standing away from the rest, pathetic, bald, weary-looking little man. He was the only one there who seemed frightened. He was sweating, probably from arguing with them. Can you tell me what's going on down here, Reverend Jameson? You better ask her, Mr. Lou, he said, nodding toward Candy. She'd have already told me to shut up or go home. I turned back to Candy, who was standing only a couple of feet behind me. Well? Well what? She said, looking up at me. Didn't you hear them? I heard them. You still say you did it. I did. You're lying, Candy. You know I know you're lying. She got angry now. She told me she didn't care whether I believed her or not. She told me that Charlie and Bo had gotten into a fight back there in the fields, and Charlie had run up here to Matthew's house. She was, she was here talking to Matthew. Charlie had been here only a minute or two when Bo came after him with a shotgun. She told him not to come into the yard. 
He did. And she took Matthew's gun and shot him. She said she didn't care who didn't believe her. That's the way it happened. And what are they doing here? I asked her. To protect me, I suppose. Since when? She couldn't answer that. I looked down at Bo, at the flies gathered on his chest. Can't somebody at least bring something out here to cover him up? I said. Corinne, Candy called to the woman on on the porch. Go inside and get me a sheet or something. Corinne, wearing a gray dress that could have been blue or purple once, got up from the rocker and went inside the house. A moment later, she returned carrying a bedspread that could have been green, pink, blue, or purple once, but now it, too, had faded to a dull gray like the dress that she wore. She reached it toward one of the men nearest the porch, and he brought it to me. I watched him as he came toward me, but he avoided my eyes. After passing me the spread, he returned to the porch to take his post. You called Mapes? I asked Candy. Miss Merle was down here, she said. I told her to call him after you went by. For God's sake, Candy, before Mape gets here, tell me the truth. Did Matthew do this? I've already told you the truth, she said. I did it. Fix is going to demand a nigger's blood, Candy. You know that, don't you? She came up closer to me, her head even with my chest, her eyes blazing, her mouth trembling. She was so angry. I killed that son of a bitch, she said. That's what I'm going to tell Mapes, what I'm going to tell the radio, and what I'm going to give television. I killed that son of a bitch. Now, I called you here because I need you to stand beside me because I don't have anybody else, nobody else. But if you don't want to stay, you can go on back to Baton Rouge. I don't beg. We stared at each other. She could see I didn't believe a damn thing she had said. The longer we looked at each other, the angrier she became. Her mouth tightened into a straight line. She wanted to hit, but she held back. She knew she still needed me. I turned from her to look at those old fools around me. I didn't know know who I felt the most pity for. I knew she hadn't done it, and she wouldn't get out of it. But somebody had to pay for Bo's lying there. They saw the dust before I did. When I looked over my shoulder, Mapes had already stopped out in front of the house. He was sitting on the passenger side of the Black Ford Fairlane, one of his deputies driving. They sat there watching us about a minute before getting out of the car. Mapes got out slowly as though he was very tired. He was about my height, 6'3", 6'4", but he outweighed me by a 100 pounds at least. He was in his late 60s. He wore a gray lightweight suit, a gray hat, white shirt, and a red tie. He, his deputy, who wore a beige suit and tie but no hat, got out on the other side. He seemed to be in his early 20s. He was about 5'8 and weighed about 145 pounds. Even from this distance, you could see he was scared. He was unarmed, and he reached back into the car for a gun. Mapes spoke to him from over his shoulder, and he put the gun back. Mapes took off his hat and wiped the sweatband with the handkerchief. Then he wiped his forehead, the sides, and the back of his neck. Then he put the hat back on his head and the handkerchief back in his pocket. He did all that while watching us. He turned his head, not his body, to check out the tractor whose motor was still running. Thirty seconds of this, and he looked back at us again. He raised his hand to his mouth and removed a piece of candy 
probably what was left of a lifesaver. After inspecting it a moment, he flipped it away and came into the yard. He didn't look at all surprised by what he saw. I was sure he had never seen anything like it before, but he had been around a long time and he had seen many other strange things, so it was possible that nothing surprised him anymore. The deputy followed him into the yard, sticking as close as a small, frightened child would stick to his father. Mapes nodded, but didn't speak. I nodded back, but Candy didn't. Mapes stared at me with those ash-gray eyes another second. Then he looked down at the spread. He nodded again. It was not to me this time. It was to his deputy. But the deputy was busy watching the old men with the shotguns. Griffin, Mapes said to him. Griffin, Mapes said again. Griffin turned from the old men to look at Mapes, but he seemed uncertain that Mapes had called his name. You said something, Sheriff? Mapes nodded toward the ground. Griffin glanced back over his shoulder toward the old men before leaning over and pulling back the spread. He quickly turned his head when he saw the bloody shirt, dirty face, dirty brown hair of Beau Boutin. Mapes didn't turn his head. He looked down at the body a good 30 seconds and told Griffin to cover it up again. Griffin didn't hear him. He was busy watching the old men with the shotguns. Griffin, Mapes repeated. Griffin glanced up at Mapes, but Mapes had already turned away. Griffin covered up the body without looking at it. Go turn off that thing, Mapes said. Sir, Griffin asked. The tractor, Griffin. Mapes said impatiently. Griffin started toward the road. Griffin, Mapes called. His voice remained level without inflection, yet meaningful. Yes, sir, Griffin answered. Mapes didn't turn around, so Griffin had to come back to face him. Get on that radio. Tell Russ, no one else, Russell, to go back on that bayou and keep Fix there. No one else but him and keep Fix and that crowd back there until he hears from me and tell Herman to come out here and pick this up. But he didn't tell him who it was. But don't tell him who it was. Griffin nodded and started to leave again. Griffin, Mapes said, his voice still level. Griffin stopped. First, turn off the tractor, Mapes said. He was looking at Griffin as though Griffin were not very bright. Second, call Russ. Third, call Herman. Tell him to come out here and pick up a dead body. No name. Fourth, can you remember all that between here and the car? Of course, Sheriff. Mape stared down at Griffin until Griffin walked away. Then he turned his attention toward the old men with the guns. I counted 17, 18 of them, he said. Is that all of them? I didn't count them, I said. And you? He asked Candy. He did not look directly at her. He spoke to her from the side. Already he seemed to suspect that she had something to do with all these people being there. I don't know how many there are, she said, but I can tell you what happened. I killed him. Mapes looked down at her from over his left shoulder. He still suspected that she had gathered all these people here, but you could see he didn't believe that she had killed Bobu Tan. Over what? He asked her. Bobutan still lived in the past, she said. He still thought he could beat people like his pa did 30, 40 years ago. He started beating Charlie back there in the field, and Charlie ran up here to Matthew's house. I was standing there by the door talking to Matthew. We asked him what happened, and he said Bo hit him with the stalk of cane. 
A few minutes later, Bo followed him. Bo followed him on the tractor with the shotgun. When he stopped that tractor out there, I told him not to cross that ditch. I told him more than once, Bo, don't you cross that ditch. Did he listen? You just don't beat people with a stalked cane and hunt them like they're some kind of wild animal. You don't do that. I told him to stop. Don't cross that ditch. I hollered at him not to cross that ditch. When he didn't stop, I reached and I got the shotgun Matthew keeps beside the door. And I'll swear to that in court. Mapes continued to look at her from the side. Once, while she was talking, he shot a quick glance at me. I could tell he didn't believe anything she was saying. Now she could see it too. I'll swear to it in court, she said again, and that's my story to the press. Mapes grunted and turned to look at the people again. He had been watching and listening, but remained quiet. Even the children who sat on the steps were quiet but watching. The deputy came back into the yard and stood next to Mapes. Bring me one of them, Mapes said to him. Which one, Sheriff? Griffin asked. One that can talk, Mapes said without looking at Griffin. Griffin left. Candy had been standing a little behind Mapes, but now she moved in front to face him. I told you I did it, she said. Why are you questioning them? Mapes didn't answer her. Candy, please, I said. I reached out to touch her, but she jerked her arm away from me. Because they're black and helpless? Is that what you're is that why you're picking on them? He ignored her. He was watching Griffin lead one of the old fellows toward him. The old man had to be eighty. Griffin was probably afraid of anyone younger. The old man wore overalls, a khaki shirt, and an old felt hat. He was a clean shaven old fellow, walked with quick steps, leaning a bit forward. Candy moved to the side as Griffin led him up to Mapes. When Griffin released his arm, he took off his hat and held it to his chest. His head was shaved as clean as his face. He looked up at Mapes a second, then his eyes came down to Mapes' chest. He had a nervous twitch that made his bald head bob continually as if he were always agreeing with you. He was quite a bit shorter than Mapes, maybe even a foot shorter. Mapes let him stand there a while before saying anything to him. How come you so far from home, Uncle Billy? Mapes asked him. I killed him, the old man said without raising his eyes from Mapes' chest. His bald head never stopped bobbing. Now, I don't have time for that, Uncle Billy, Mapes said. This is my fishing day. I ask you again, how come you so far away from home? I killed. The back of Mapes' hand went Pow! Across Uncle Billy's face and spit shot from the old man's mouth and his head jerked to the side. Mapes had hit him so quickly that I hadn't seen it coming or expected it. I heard a groan from the women sitting on the steps. Look at that! Look at that! One of them said. A old man like Billy Washington! Just look at that! Mapes, I'm going to remember that, Candy said, stabbing her finger toward him. I've got a lot of witnesses. I'm going to remember that! Mapes paid her no attention. Let's try it again, Uncle Billy. How come you so far from home? I killed him, Uncle Billy said, his bald head bobbing. Pow! went Mapes' hand again. Blood dripped from Uncle Billy's mouth, but he would not wipe it away. Stand him over there. Bring me another one, Mapes said to Griffin. You're going to beat them all, Mapes? Candy asked him. She was mad enough to hit him, but Mapes probably would have hit her back. 
I didn't like what was going on either, but I knew that had I interfered, Mapes would have knocked hell out of me and thrown me in the back of his car. You better get her out of here, he said to me. Like hell he will, Candy said. This is my land in case you forget. You better stay out of my way, Mapes warned her. Like hell I will. Like hell you won't, he said. He turned to the old man that Griffin had just brought up there. What are you doing from behind those trees, Gable? he asked. Gable was a thin, brown-skinned man with white hair and high, prominent cheekbones. He was impeccably dressed, brown sports coat, plaid shirt, a string tie, brown trousers, and shoes well shined. He had taken off his hat, his hat, which he held against his leg, not to his chest as Uncle Billy had done. Also unlike Uncle Billy, who never raised his eyes higher than Mape's chest, Gable looked him straight in the face. I killed him, he said. I don't want to hurt you, Gable, Mape said. You've had enough trouble in your life already. Now, I ask you again, how did she get you from behind those trees? I shot him, Gable said. Mapes clamped his teeth so hard that the muscles in his heavy jowls began to quiver. His right hand came up slowly, then pow! Gable's face jerked to, to the side, but came right back. His eyes watered, but he stared Mapes right in the face. The women on the steps groaned. The little girl and the smaller boy covered their faces. The men watched quietly. You can do it all day long, Gable said to Mapes. Mapes slapped him again. Gable's face jerked to the side just a little. His eyes blinked for a moment. Then he was looking Mapes in the face again. The muscles in Mapes' heavy jowls continued to quiver. He did not like what he was doing, but he didn't know any other way to get what he wanted. Stand him over there. Bring me another one, he said. Not the other cheek? Gable asked. Both times you hit the same one. Not the other one? Mapes' big face flushed with anger. The jowl muscles continued to twitch. He did not answer Gable. Griffin took Gable by the arm and led him over to where Uncle Billy was standing. I saw Uncle Billy looking at Mapes and grinning. I could have told Mapes that he wasn't going to get anywhere by slapping them. Why don't you use a stick or a hose pipe? Candy said to Mapes. No sense bruising your hands on old people who can't fight back. They all have shotguns, Mapes said. You know they won't use them. That's right, Mapes said. I know they won't use them. And we know and we know they didn't use them, don't we? I told you I did it, Candy said. Sure, Mapes said, and my name is Santa Claus. Griffin was moving among the crowd. Suddenly, he had become very brave. He wasn't choosing the first one he came to. He was being picky now. He was going to get the one he wanted. The people did not look at him as he moved toward them. They didn't seem afraid. They just didn't think he was important enough to look at. But as he approached the steps, Aunt Glow's little grandson, Snookum, suddenly stood up before him. Griffin told him to sit back down before he slapped him down. Griffin was very tough around very old and the, the very old and the very young. But instead of sitting back down, the boy jumped off the steps and started towards Mapes. Candy, who had not been standing too far away from Mapes, now got between him and the boy and told the boy to go back. He stopped, but he did not return to the steps until his grandmother called him. He went back and sat on the steps next to her, and she put her arm around his shoulders. Then both she and he looked back at Mapes, and both seemed ready to be slapped, if either or both 
were his choice. Candy turned back to Mapes, but only stared at him and did not say anything. I didn't say anything either, but I knew he wasn't going to get anything out of them by slapping them around. Griffin had already chosen someone else, the quarter's preacher, Reverend Jameson. Griffin couldn't have chosen a sadder figure. His shirt was already fully wet from perspiration. He looked as if he were about to have a heart attack. He was so afraid of Mapes. Mapes didn't like it either that Griffin had brought him the preacher. He had wanted someone with a gun, but now he had no choice but to go on with what he had started. What are you doing down here, Reverend? He asked. Why aren't you at home reading your Bible? Reverend Jameson looked down at Mapes' feet. He did not raise his eyes as high as Mapes' chest. I ain't got nothing to say, Sheriff, he said without raising his head. You better think of something to say, Mapes said. What are you doing down here? Reverend Jameson shook his head but never raised his eyes. I'll ask you one more time, Reverend, Mapes said. What are you doing down here? The old man remained quiet. Beads of sweat covered his bald head. Pow! went Mapes' hand across his face. Sweat flew from his bald head. Unlike the other two old men whose faces snapped to the side when Mapes hit them, Reverend Jameson staggered and fell flat on his back. The people looked at him, but no one said anything. After a while, he raised his head and looked at Candy, the way a little dog would look up at its mistress after it had been punished, but Candy showed him no sympathy. None of the others did either, and he slowly pushed himself up and stood before Mapes again. Well, Mapes said. He shook his head, which was still bowed. I ain't got nothing to say, Sheriff, and down he went again. He sat up just as he had done before and stared down at the ground. Then, as he started pushing himself to his feet, suddenly every last person in the yard and on the porch, whether he was sitting, squatting, or standing, began forming a line up to Mapes. Candy was at the head of the line. I'm next, Mapes, she said. Mapes stared at her with those hard, ash-colored eyes, and his flushed, heavy jowls trembled even more violently. I thought he was going to hit her for sure now, and I was just about ready to step between them when he jerked his head and walked away. And I knew he wanted me to follow him out into the road. He leaned back against his car and crossed his legs and folded his arms across his chest. He was a big man, 260, 270, and he looked very tired. I leaned back against the car beside him and both of us looked into the yard. The people had begun moving around again. Candy was attending to Uncle Billy, wiping his mouth with a handkerchief. And I noticed for the first time that the only person who had not gotten into the line was Matthew. He still squatted against the wall with the gun cradled in his arms. He was smoking a cigarette and looking out at us. You know he did it, don't you? Mapes said. He had calmed down some. Who? I said. You know who I'm talking about. Yes, I knew who he was talking about. We were both looking at him squatting there. Why don't you arrest him? I said. On what charges? Mape asked. Killing Bo, I suppose. How can you prove it? Mape said. Because Bo was killed here in his yard? That's no proof. Clinton would have that thrown out of court in two seconds flat, and she knows that too. What about the gun? You didn't look very close, did you? Mape asked me. Every last one has the same make gun, 12 gauge. Everyone probably has the same numbered shell in that gun right now too. No, you can't arrest them on that. But he killed him, all right. 
the only one with nuts enough to do it. He got half a roll of lifesavers out of his pocket and reached it toward me. I shook my head. He put one of the lifesavers into his mouth and the the pack back into his pocket. He sucked on the lifesaver while he looked at Matthew squatting against the wall. You seen Charlie? He asked me. No, I haven't seen him. He's probably hiding somewhere back there in the field, Mape said. We can pick him up any time, but he didn't do it. Matthew did, and she arranged this little get-together. Not him. He never would have. He's a tough old goat, just like you see him there. He probably would have turned himself in by now if she hadn't gotten into it, but he doesn't want to go against her. Where she got all these men from, only God knows. Look at them. Look at all those guns. We both looked at the old men with their shotguns. Candy had finished attending to Uncle Billy and Gable, and she had gone back to the steps to stand beside Aunt Glo and the children. She and Aunt Glo were talking and looking out into the road at us. My God, man, can't you talk to her? Mate said to me. I didn't want any trouble on this place. That Baton Rouge crowd's already getting drunk for that game tomorrow. Some of them wouldn't want anything better than a necktie party tonight. I tried talking. She wouldn't listen, I said. You tried throwing her butt into the back of that car? Mapes asked. No, I didn't try that, Mapes, I told him. I hear there's a law against kidnapping people, especially on their plate, on their own place. There's a law against harboring a murderer, too, Mapes said. You ever heard of that law? I didn't answer him. I looked at Candy standing beside the steps, talking to Aunt Glow. You two are going to make a hell of a marriage, Mapes said. Don't get personal, Mapes, I told him. When is the date? He asked and grinned. Just don't get personal, all right, Mapes? He exhaled a deep breath while he looked at me. I wasn't much of a man in his eyesight. He looked back at Candy. Maybe Bo was living in the past and maybe he wasn't, but she damn sure is, he said. She still thinks she can do as her pa and the rest of them did 50 years ago. Well, it's not going to work. He isn't getting out of this. You seem to have something personal against him, Mapes grunted. That's where you're wrong. I admire the nigger. He's a better man than most I've met, black or white. But he killed a man, and she's not getting him out of it. If she had any sense at all, she would have taken him to jail hours ago. Because if Fix doesn't show up, others may. And they won't be coming here to talk. But I don't suppose she realizes that. He looked at me to see if I had any comments. I had nothing to say. He looked past me. Well, here comes Herman, he said. The hearse drove slowly down the road. It went by us, then stopped in front of Mapes' car, and the coroner and his assistant remained inside a while looking out at the people. The people in the yard and on the porch looked back at the hearse. The coroner got out and looked at the people again before coming towards Mapes. He was a small, clean-shaven man with steel-rimmed glasses. He could have been in his mid or late sixties. He wore a seersucker suit, a Panama hat, a white shirt, and a small polka-dotted bow tie. His well-shined black shoes were covered with dust. Herman, Mapes said. 
but Herman did not speak. Instead, he just looked up at Mapes, and I could see his blue eyes through the thick lenses asking Mapes what it was all about. Mapes moved the lifesaver around with his tongue and nodded to the assistant, who had followed the coroner over to us. The assistant, who was named George, was a much younger and larger man. He was blonde and balding. George, Mapes said. Mapes, George said. Then George started looking at Mapes exactly the way that Herman was doing. They wanted Mapes to say something to them. They thought Mapes owed them some kind of an explanation about what was going on. Mapes didn't say anything. He looked out into the yard where all the people were looking out at us. He moved the lifesaver around before turning back to, before turning back to Herman. Old Herman was still looking up at him. Don't you think you ought to get started? Mapes said. Herman waited about 10 more seconds before he said, Sure, Mapes. Then he looked up at Mapes another 10 seconds before he said anything to George. Bring that stretcher and a blanket, he said. Then, while George was getting the stretcher and blanket out of the hearse, Herman looked up at Mapes another 10 or 15 seconds before going into the yard. After a while, Mapes and I followed him. How long you reckon he's been dead? Mapes asked. Herman was on one knee looking down at Bo. Two, maybe three hours, I suppose, he said. More like three, Mapes said. That would put it around noon, wouldn't it? Around that time, I suppose, Herman said. I've been here half an hour, Mapes said. Got here around 2.30. That would have given them, her, a two and a half hour jump. What? Herman said. Just talking to myself, Mapes said. Herman couldn't hold back any longer and jumped to his feet. For an old man, he could really get up fast. He got up right against Mapes' chest. He was about half the size of Mapes. What the hell is going on around here, Mapes? He said, pushing up against Mapes' stomach. You're talking to yourself while a bunch of niggers stand around here with shotguns and a white man lays dead in the grass. I demand to know what the hell is going on around here. You and George better get him into Bayonne, Mapes said calmly. George was standing there with the stretcher and the blanket. Herman was still staring at Mapes through those thick lenses, which made his eyes look about the size of partridge eggs. You could not pass your hand slantwise between Herman's chest and Mapes' stomach. I don't know any more than you do, Mapes said, looking over Herman, down at the corpse. Don't you think you ought to hurry up and find out more than I know? Herman asked, still looking up at Mapes. You take care of your business. I'll take care of mine, Mapes said. Sure, the coroner said and nodded. He turned to his assistant. All right, George. George spread the blanket out on the grass, and he and Griffin picked up Bo by the arms and legs and laid him on the blanket. Then George wrapped the blanket well around over Bo, and he and Griffin laid Bo on the stretcher and took him out to the hearse. Everyone in the yard and on the porch watched what was going on, but remained quiet. Don't you think you ought to hurry, don't you think you ought to hurry, Mapes? Herman asked him one more time. Not only fix, but what about his friends on the lane? Behind the thick lenses, his blue eyes got even bigger when he mentioned the friends on the lane. The eyes, not the words, gave the meaning of what he had just said. Don't spread this around, Mapes said, and moved the candy about in his his mouth. The coroner shook his head. Oh, no, Mapes, 
He said, I won't tell a soul. I'll just tell them Bo has a chill in all this hot weather. That's why I got him wrapped up like this. The rest of it, I mean, Mape said. The shotguns? Exactly. Don't worry, the coroner said. Nobody would believe me anyhow. Would you, Mapes? Mapes didn't answer him. The coroner looked around at the people, then back at Mapes again. But he could see that Mapes had no more to say to him. And after looking up at me helplessly, he left the yard. George was already in the hearse waiting for him. After they had driven off, Mapes took off his hat and wiped the sweatband. He wiped his face and neck while he looked at the people on the porch. All right, he said when he had put the hat back on. The ones who don't stay here, get moving. The rest of you move back there on the porch. I mean, right now. But nobody moved. What's the matter with you all? Mapes asked them. Can't you all hear either? I said move. I killed him. Uncle Billy said. Uncle Billy stood by the garden fence where Griffin had put him half an hour ago. His lips were swollen from where Mapes had hit him. He seemed as proud of his swollen lips as was Crane's boy in the red badge of courage. Mapes stared at him a second, then he went toward him. Everyone expected Mapes to pop him again. Instead, he jerked the gun out of Uncle Billy's hand, ejected the shell, and raised it to his nose. Then he put the shell back and slammed the gun into the waiting hands. Who told you to fire that gun, Uncle Billy? Mapes asked him. Nobody, Uncle Billy said. Candy, didn't she? Mapes asked. No, sir, Uncle Billy said. You still go to church, Uncle Billy? Mapes asked him. A deacon at Shadrach Baptist Church, Uncle Billy said. If I got a Bible, would you still say you shot Bo, Uncle Billy? Uncle Billy licked his bottom lip, and he lowered his head as though he had to give this great consideration. Mapes waited. We all waited. Mapes got tired of waiting. Well, he said. Uncle Billy raised his head, and looking Mapes straight in his eyes, he nodded. You didn't shoot Bo, now did you, Uncle Billy? Mapes asked him again. Yes, sir, Sheriff. Candy put you up to all this now, didn't she? Mapes asked the old man. Don't worry, I won't let her do anything to you, I promise you. No, sir, I did it all on my own, Uncle Billy said, his head continually bobbing. Was Candy down here when you got here? Mapes asked, using a different tactic now. I don't rightly know, Uncle Billy said. What do you mean you don't rightly know? Mapes asked. That's her car out there. Was her car here? I can't rightly tell, the old man said. You mean you can't rightly see. That's what you mean, don't you, Uncle Billy? Oh, I sees pretty well, Sheriff, pretty well indeed. Mapes looked at the old man with exasperation. He was getting awfully tired. When did you hear about the killing, Uncle Billy? One o'clock? I didn't have to hear about it, Sheriff. I was right here. I did it. What were you doing when Candy called you? Taking a nap? Eating dinner? What, Uncle Billy? Didn't call me at all, Uncle Billy said. I was right here, and I shot him. Mapes's big face had turned redder with exasperation. He wanted to hit the old man again, maybe even choke him. You ever seen anybody die in the electric chair, old man? Mapes asked Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy's head went on bobbing. No, sir, he said. It's not a pretty sight, Uncle Billy. Not when that juice hit you. That's how you want to go? No, sir, but if I have to. 
Even if you have to, Uncle Billy, you don't want to go that way, Mapes told him. When that juice hit you, I've seen that chair dance. You see, Uncle Billy, we don't have a permanent chair here in Bayonne. When we need one, we go to Angola to pick it up. And we don't waste no time screwing it down, not for just one killing. And when that juice hit you, I've seen that chair rattle. I've seen it dance. Not a pretty sight, old man. Is that how you want to go? No, sir. Then what then what you think will happen if I take you in and they convict you? You think you're too old to die in the chair? No, sir. Well, the old man licked his swollen bottom lip and looked down at the ground again. I thought Mapes had finally gotten to him. Everybody on the porch and in the yard was watching and waiting. I don't have all day, Uncle Billy, Mapes said. The old man started shaking his head as he looked up at Mapes again. I killed him, he said. Why? Mapes asked him. Sir, why did you kill Bo? What they did, my boy, what they did to my boy, the old man said, staring blankly at Mapes, his head bobbing again, his swollen bottom lip trembled, trembled nervously. The way they beat him, the way they beat him till they, they beat him till he was crazy and he had, and we had to send him to Jackson. He don't even know me and his mama no more. We take him candy, we take him cake, and he eat it like a hog eating corn. Don't offer none of them other crazy people none. Don't offer none to nobody, me, his mama, or them other crazy people. Just put his head in the cake and eat it like a hog eating corn. His mama sliced him a little piece and hand it to him. He let it fall on the table and eat it like a hog eating corn. That's no way to be. It hurt his mama every time she sees that. Who beat your boy, Uncle Billy? Mapes asked the old man. Fixing them, what the people say. But you don't know for sure. I can just take what the people say. I wasn't there. When did all this happen, Uncle Billy? Years back, when he come home from that war. What war? That war with Hitler and them Japs. You've been holding a grudge against Fix all that time, Uncle Billy? I don't hold no grudge. My Bible tells me not to hold no grudge. Your Bible also tells you thou shalt not kill. Yes, sir, it does. Well, sometimes you just has to go against your Bible, Sheriff, Uncle Billy told Mapes. His bald head didn't stop bobbing. You didn't, Mapes said. I don't even think you know who shot Bo. You're just a pawn. Somebody they're playing somebody they're playing with. You weren't even down here, and they didn't even tell you who did it or how it happened now, did they? No, sir. They didn't need to tell me. I did it. Mapes looked around the yard, then back at the old man again. Aim at one of them being posed in that garden, Uncle Billy, Mapes said. What one? the old man asked. What one you can see? Mapes told him. I sees a bunch of them, the old man said, his head bobbing steadily. Aim, Mapes commanded with exasperation. Uncle Billy set the gun against his shoulder and aimed at the nearest pole, about ten feet away. For a moment, he didn't even know which eye to shut. When he finally figured that out, the gun was shaking so much you would have thought it was one of those divining rods that had just discovered water. You can bring it down. Mapes said. The old man lowered the gun. He was sweating. He was so tired. It would have taken Bo longer than that to stop the tractor, get his gun, and come into this yard, Mapes said. 
You're still saying you killed him? I didn't sight till he crossed that ditch, Uncle Billy said. The one that shot Bo, his hands didn't tremble, Uncle Billy, Maeve said. He was cool about it, cool and calm, knew exactly what he was doing, shot at the right moment, the right distance. A hunter shot Bo, Uncle Billy, someone used to guns, not you. You never hunted a thing in your life but a good seat in a Baptist church, in winter near the heater, in summer near the window. Get out of my sight, Uncle Billy. Go stand somewhere else. Yes, sir, the old man said, but I did it. I told you to move, Nate said. Yes, sir, I'm moving, he said, backing away, his head bobbing all the time. But I did it. Now, what would I look like taking something like that to Bayonne? Mapes was talking to himself again. They'd laugh me out of the parish if, if, if they didn't lock me up in the loony ward and throw away the key first. He turned his head slowly and looked at Matthew squatting against the wall. Matthew, come down here, he said. That brings us to the conclusion of segment eight of Ernest J. Gaines, A Gathering of Old Men. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. Again, if you are listening on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Anchor, or whatever your favorite platform is, please do leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you have a question, comment, or a suggestion, you can write to me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.